Welcome to At Home in the Kitchen, the podcast that is all about food, fun, and living life to the fullest, especially at home. I'm your host, Rhonda Carmen. Today, I'm gathered at the table to gossip with my guest, Christopher Spitzmiller. Christopher is a ceramic artist whose lamps have graced the Oval Office and White House so many times he has earned the hashtag Potter to the Presidents. When he's not in his studio, he can be found at his farm in Millbrook, New York, gardening, beekeeping, making jam, cooking for friends, and tending to his flock of chickens. I think he needs the hashtag, the man that never sleeps. All of this is the subject of a new book, A Year at Clovebrook Farm. For this virtual gathering, I will surprise Christopher at the end of the podcast with a menu I have planned just for him. For the recipes, you can visit my website, rondacarmen.com. This is your first book, yes? It's my first book. Yes, it, it is. It is all the hard work that goes into it, and it is a lot of hard work for people who've not done one. But when you finally get it in your hands, isn't it just hugely rewarding? It is, but I have to tell you, it was kind of like having a baby. When it arrived here, I kind of didn't, I, I looked at it like it was a foreigner for the first <laughs> two days. And I was like, it's here. It's really here. That's I know. the book. It's, it's, it's like, you hear about this, about people who give birth and the baby mm-hmm. comes out and you're like, what have I done? And I sort of like looked at it that way. And then Ashley saw it and Marianne McAvoy saw it and I got their feedback. Like I had been so familiar with it. I sort of needed somebody else's eyes to say, Oh, you know, it really is good. And it is real. And then I got comfortable with it and I could breathe and be like, and now I'm like signing the books away and sending them out. And it's, it's a really good feeling. That's the fun part. And the great thing about the book, it's not like the baby where they, um, you have to get up all night and, and you can put it to bed and you're like, oh, look at this beautiful book. Okay. Good night. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank exactly. You, Jesus. So I did get an advanced copy and I think I mentioned to you, I have literally every morning got up, got a cup of coffee and sat there with it for a good 30 minutes because it is just filled with such beautiful images and so much great information. So Again, congratulations. It's really beautiful. And your release date is the 9th? This coming yeah, Tuesday, March 9th. is that right? Very exciting. How are you uh, handling signings and book tours in this age of COVID? I haven't had to deal with that. We have a real one at the Four Arts in Palm Beach coming up on um, April 7th. They have an auditorium that will handle 700 people and they pared it down to 100 people and they're going to go on with it. And the, they offered me to do it in the fall with a bigger audience. And I was like, no, I want to get the ball rolling. Yeah. And then I'm going to do one in Naples. It just sprung up today with Susanna Salk right after at a store down there that I sell my lamps through. And then in May, I'm going to hopefully come to Texas and be down there with Found that sells my my lamps as well. They love Ruth. So it looks like that's going to go forward with the way things are in Texas, I hope. So, you know, we take it all day by day. Most of the things are virtual. Like when I'm in Florida, I'm going to be doing one with the Rye Garden Club on Zoom. And then I'm going to be doing one with Ledoux Gardens on Zoom. And then there's countless other ones that are scheduled on Zoom. And in a way, it's really nice because it's accessible to people. You know, somebody can like tune in at four o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, instead of having to get themselves to some auditorium or some school to hear me speak. So there there are some high points to to this. I don't Um, disagree. I, with my first book, Designers at Home, which you were featured in, which was 2013, if you can believe that, I was on a plane back to back for six weeks. And honestly, I don't ever really want to do that again. I Mm -hmm. I don't want to come go 
completely, you know, virtual because it is nice to see people and meet them and get their feedback. But I think there's a nice hybrid maybe that's to come from all this. Definitely. I definitely think so. The Garden Conservancy, where I'm on the board, they did a whole thing because they stopped their open days programs, which is like, you know, 90% of the funding is driven from that. And nobody was visiting any gardens. So they encouraged people like myself to take pictures every week and they would send the email out and they had something like a 80% open rate on these emails, which is sort of like That's unheard great. of for mass thing. And got all these increased membership over people sharing on the internet and that way, and they will keep going with that. They've committed to having the gardens open this year on sort of a time basis and anybody who wasn't comfortable, they're not gonna do it with. But um, I was really, see, there are some upsides to Absolutely, to that's wonderful, through. that's wonderful. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, set the stage, tell us where you are, describe your home a little bit, especially your gorgeous kitchen. <laughs> so I'm in Millbrook, New York. I spend a couple of days in the city where I have a studio where we make lamps. And then I have a studio up in Millbrook now as well, too, where we make plates and dishes. And um, 15 years ago, I stumbled across this Greek revival house that looked like something out of a YF painting. It had honeybees in the walls and bats in the attic and, you know, old floral wallpapers. And, you know, it was cold and drafty. And yeah, I was taken lock, stock and barrel. I saw I this it. house that needed all this love and this dilapidation. And um, it was what I could afford. And I did what I could as I could afford to do it. At first year, I painted it and put a new heating system in and I did new fireplaces. And it was six years of renovation of doing things as I could could do it. And eventually I got to the decoration stage and the did that. Part. And then I started to build gardens outside and build some buildings, a garage and a dovecote folly and a pool house and a pool. And now my big project that's daunting me is a big looming cow barn that is had bad foundation when I got it. John Roselli took a look at my cow barn one day. He goes, your barn, it has no charm. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait, are you going to raise cattle now or are you going to do something else with it? No, it's going to be, it was, it had been a, a, this piece of this farm had been originally a dairy farm for a long time. And then the last person who lived here had a lot of, or the last two people who lived here had horses here. And then I have switched over and made it like a bird farm where we have all these heritage breed chickens and peacocks and geese now, and there's a turkey and some fantail pigeons. And so one wing, which we call the chicken wing of the barn will house all the poultry. There'll be one sort of center, more ornamental part. And then there will be one wing for just like storage of like lawnmowers and garden furniture and all the stuff. And then eventually after we get that done, so we're talking about another three years, I'm gonna put a greenhouse off of that. Cause right now I move all my tropical plants into my garage and have grow lights in there and they survive just fine. And it's nice to have them so close to the house, but I want a real glass house one day. So. Do you sleep? I, you know, that's the thing is I really sleep, <laughs> I, you know, no, I, you're I, pretty I, amazing. I'm just going to say, I just like to, you know, I get up and I have my ideas and I write little lists and I like get the stuff done that I need to and prioritize what's going to happen. Um, and I, you know, I don't watch much TV. I like sit down maybe after dinner for like an hour of TV. And even, even during that hour, I'm on my phone most of the time and stuff, but um, I get eight hours of sleep and I, I stay in You're bed amazing. in the morning and I talk to my girlfriends on the phone and return emails and then I get up and get going with everything so 
So these, okay, I need to, we need to talk about your, um, your birds and your geese. So just for the record, you probably don't know this, but I have a huge phobia of birds. Don't know why. <laughs> I think I, I think it came from having to collect eggs from my grandmother's chickens and I was four or five and they didn't really want me getting their eggs, or at least it seemed that way to me. And they wouldn't get up. And so I kind of nudged them with my foot, which my grandmother had a heart attack. And she's like, you can't do that. My chickens will never lay eggs again. So I'm a little bit afraid of birds. But these geese that you have, the ones with the gorgeous white feathers, yeah. I am mesmerized. I think someone on Instagram said they felt like they were at the um, Chanel fashion show watching them waddle in the... Um, snow tell me a little bit about Either them because they're unbelievable lake. we get swan lake a lot too because they're sort of swan reminiscent so the in in the beginning of covid last year in march martha gave me eight geese eggs and i didn't really want geese because geese are loud and obnoxious but when martha stewart gives you something you, you smile it. and say thank you <laughs> and you know I was like, I'll find a friend who wants these. There'll be a, a farmer I can give them to. Like, it'll, it'll they'll find a home. And two of the eight eggs hatched, and out came these little yellow fuzzballs. And I had nothing going on. It was COVID. And so every morning I would go over there and hold them. And every evening I would hold them. And a breeder gave me two other ones. So then we had four. And they have bonded to us and from the very beginning of when they were walking around outside they would just follow me and anthony around everywhere they'd follow us up to the pool they'd follow us down there and this has continued to this day like we go out and we'll go by the pool and they'll, they they like to swim in the pool they do not they turn their nose up or their beaks up at the pond they're not going to swim in there <laughs> they only want you know the good filtered water of course and they do they're just a high point and they're like while this trouble has been going on or any anxiety or any angst in my life if I get up from the house and I go out there and I spend a half an hour with them all the troubles just go all away and you just smile and adore them and they smile back at you in their way it's just such a good good thing so for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about they'll have to look at your Instagram account because they really well, and then we'll, we'll, so we have we have Joan Rivers because she has a little eye issue, which we talk about having a little <laughs> eye work that has gone bad. We have Pat Alshul Goose, who's named after my Pat friend Pat in uh -huh. Charleston, uh -huh. and then we have Caroline Rome Goose, and then we have Bill Blass Goose. So this year it. we hope to add a few more to the flock, and I've already got some names up my sleeve for this year. So, so instead of the swans, you've got the geese. Well, they're sort of like the society swans, that's you know, I'm, and, that's I, what I'm and I'm, getting I'm, that feel I'm there. friends with them and I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't have a Caroline. I'm sorry, I don't have a swan to name after you, but I have a goose to name after you and they, they love it. Pretty darn beautiful. What type of what? What are they? What what breed? So they're called Sebastopol and Sebastopol, they're they're They have these uh, like frilly feathers that come off of them that sort of twirl around and come down and you know they're just they're all white and they they love to swim and they clean themselves and eat everything and love to chew on me and my cell phone and anything else they can get their hand on so that's hilarious um, yeah and beekeeping are you still keeping bees? And I'm still keeping bees. So the bees were in the wall of the house when I bought the house. And uh, the pest control company wanted 
uh, an enormous amount of money to just kill this hive and not take it out. And a friend suggested that you, I get a beekeeper and we take the bees out of the house. And I found that and this man came over and put these ladders together and came way up and got them out of the high peak of the house. And he lowered the honeycomb down in a bucket and I would string it into the frames. And that's how I started beekeeping. And I've been doing it ever since. And it, it's not an easy task. Last year we got literally no honey from it. You know, really? beekeeping is one of those truly thankless jobs that I do because I know it's good for the environment. And mm -hmm. when it does pay off and you do get five or 10 gallons of honey, everybody loves it. And I sell my eggs and I'll sometimes sell jam that I make, but I, I can't sell the honey because so much money goes into it that it no matter what I charge, oh, I mean, there would be a number, but nobody would pay it. Um, but so the honey is a gift item. And if somebody gets a gift, a jar of honey from me, they're getting something really special. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And I guess that explains why honey is expensive at the grocery store. So in Texas, it's something. probably better. The winters here are really brutal. And that's our thing is they survive all summer long, but getting them through the winters is, is really, really hard. But I, I ordered two hives um, yesterday, and I think they're like $250 for just the bees that go in it. So it's not, it's not a cheap enterprise to, to get into. So. It sounds more like a labor of love. It's a labor of love, but it's also a responsibility. Like, I feel like, you know, you're doing the right thing. So I'm going to keep going with it. You can't go wrong doing the right thing. I also don't give up. I, you know, I'm like a, this weird <laughs> Tenacious. If, if something doesn't work, I'll plant it in a different place. I'll get a different this. I'll do that. I like, I have one type of rose that I'm trying to grow here that's called Francis Maitland that I, the first year I had great success with, and I've never had great success. And Anthony goes, whatever's on your rose odor list, that, that name better not be on there. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like, I just won't give up. I just try and try again. But that's probably why you are as successful as you are. So do you have a favorite season at the farm or a favorite time of year for cooking? You know, the summer is really good for cooking because we have all that local produce and we now have a vegetable garden. Anthony designed and put in a vegetable garden here. So we have all these varieties of tomatoes and asparagus and snap peas. But my favorite time at the farm is September and October when all the dahlias are in bloom. Oh, that's um, beautiful. Yeah, that's the, the sort of like, you know, the spring is a lot of work and the summer is a decent amount of work. And the fall, you can sort of, the early fall, you can sort of sit back for a while and rest on your laurels of all the work that you've done all year long and be like, okay, we're going to just enjoy these flowers and whatnot. So that's, that's my favorite time. And we're going to, Anthony and I are going to get married and we probably not this September, but next September when things are quote better, but that's the time of year that we're picking for it. That's awesome. Congratulations. Are y'all going to do it there in the garden? We're going to do it on here the in the garden. Good. Do it right here. It's yeah. going to be beautiful. Well, we'll look for all the pictures on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So when you're uh, cooking, well, I guess in the past year, I've been asked, well, I was going to say, I ask all my guests. I'm going to ask all of my guests because you're actually the first. So thank you for being the first guest on the podcast. Um, what have you been cooking this past year during quarantine? And is there anything that you have learned and that you want to take forward moving forward? And what have you missed in terms of restaurants and friends? And like, what's your experience been 
cooking. So I learned how to make sourdough bread during quarantine. Martha's niece, Sophie, gave me a piece of her starter and gave me her instructions that are published right now in Martha Stewart Living. And I practiced and my first loaves were little pancakey things that you'd be embarrassed of. And now I can produce big round bowls and put little cross hatches in them. And it's when that stuff comes out of the oven it's as close to a drug as i need to get my hands on um so that was the the big sort of high point of like learning and like taking the time to really delve into something that i would have never done i I had made bread when i was younger and never had any success but with this sourdough like every time you just like knock it out of the park and your friends are so happy to get it you know we've had people over you know ashley was here for christmas and her mother was here for christmas and we spent easter together and we see small amounts of people like katie ritter and peter benoyer are coming over tomorrow night and we've had some stuff and i'm going to cook some um duck breasts that i learned from mimi thorison where you uh cut into the duck fat and you put some salt on there and um, you sear them on real high heat yeah. for five minutes each side and it renders all this duck fat and the duck fat I save and I have a shallot recipe that's in the cookbook that I learned from Mimi where you take a shallot and you cut the shallot in half you leave all the skin on it and you melt two or three tablespoons of the duck fat in a pan and if you don't cook your own duck you can get this duck fat at like d'artagnan will sell it to you or citarella or any specialty food market and in your town will have it you put a little bit of sugar in the pan and a little bit of salt in the pan and you roast them on like 400 for about 25 minutes until they are passing that brown stage and turning to that black stage and getting caramelized. And you have these shallots with chicken, fish, steak, the duck I'm talking about, anything. They are the most delicious little bits of yumminess that you've come across. So So that recipe is in the book. I have a chocolate chip cookie recipe that's in there. And then there's a a roast chicken recipe that I totally, I mean, all the recipes in there are good. I would have liked to put a million more, but there'll hopefully be some books going forward. So I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. (laughs) So I have missed so much this year, missing family, missing friends. I actually did. Well, you know, Malcolm Kuttner, I did get to have Mm -hmm. him over for lunch um, last week. That's the first time I've had someone in a year. And um, I'm working on my third book right now, which is at home in the kitchen, the art of pantry cooking, because that's all I've been doing for the past year. So I got to test some recipes on him. And uh, it was really fun. It was really nice. But you I I have a feeling you're going to have more books in your future. I'd love to see what you do for a cookbook because I've looked at some of your recipes and your new book and they look really, really good. Yeah, I was so excited. I love to plan menus. Like I really, I love reading cookbooks. Is that weird? But I do. I really no, I like a, especially the old cookbooks where they use all that butter and all that heavy cream. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like read them like novels. Like, I do you know, too. I do too. Good. The old Mrs. Beaton books and all the Elizabeth David and MFK Fisher. Like I love, love all of those. And I have like all the like junior league cookbooks oh, yeah. from like Memphis and John Roselli's got me the Americas georgia cookbook that he cooks out of a lot the these little things that you know some people have never heard of yield great great results they're little time capsules and sometimes it's fun just to read them because i can't afford 
the waistline to cook and eat all of the things. <laughs> I'll tell you one of my favorite ones. And I've, if you don't have it, I'm sure you know Dorothy Rogers, who was the wife of, well, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein. And she mm-hmm. has a book um, called My Favorite Things. And it probably came out in late 60s. It is a gem and it's her home in um, Connecticut and then their apartment in the city. And it's on how to entertain properly. And her menus are just divine. I'm not sure I've actually made, well, that's not true. I did make the lobster thermidor from the book, but it is fun to read. Um, But I, yeah, I love reading cookbooks and I miss um, entertaining. I really have missed friends and I've missed restaurants. You've really taken this thing seriously. If Malcolm's the only person you've had over, I mean, you're, you're, you're strict. I give you my hat is off to you. Well, don't, yeah. My kids would probably say something differently. Um, But uh, well, we, uh, you know, long story short, but Matt, my husband has had some underlying health conditions. So we were like, okay, we're just going to hunker down and this is what well, we're then you're do. doing it right. That's, that's smart. That's smart. You see, I don't have anything like that. My big fear is passing it on to somebody else. Like that's, I think a lot of our, our things is that we're sort of our right to get it, but like the knowing the guilt of like giving it to your mother or to some, you know, right. older friend, like that's what would, would just kill me. So we keep our masks on, you know, like if people are coming over for dinner, we don't do masks then, but otherwise, you know, when I'm at work and stuff and I've had people who have had COVID in their office, and as long as the other people were wearing their masks, nobody else got it, you know, so yeah. it, it does, does work. Well, I may just, you know, come next year, flu season, I may just wear a mask all the time. I don't care what people think, because I've actually been really healthy this year, you know, I've hardly been sick and, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just because I haven't left the house. I guess that would work too, but um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a viable option forever. Um, but yes, it was, it was a lot of fun having Malcolm over and planning a menu for him. So what I decided I was going to do um, for all of my guests is if I was going to have you for dinner, I'd like plan a menu for you. So I've planned one for you. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. And I've posted the recipes to my website. Um, So first one is going to be a fresh rhubarb salsa. Uh And I'm doing that because I hate to admit this to you after reading your book, but I actually don't think I've ever cooked with rhubarb before. Can you get rhubarb down in Texas? At the farmer's markets, you can. No, I mean, not all the time. And sometimes you see it in the organic section of the grocery store. Now, when I lived in Scotland, there was a lot of rhubarb, but I never, I never grew up with it. I think if it is like a cold climate, Scottish, English, you know, upper thing, but I don't see it very much in the South so much because I grew up some outside of New Orleans and knew, learned about okra and corn dogs and all that deliciousness <laughs> that exists down there. But I don't remember rhubarb being part of it. But the great thing about rhubarb is it starts in early, early spring and you can force it with a forcer and get it going even earlier. And it goes until the first frost comes. So all summer long, you've got rhubarb and you can make desserts from it. You can make sauces like you're talking about about you can you can do all kinds of different things with it and it freezes incredibly well you cut it up into sticks or into cubes like I make a pie and I know it's three or four cups and I freeze ziplocs with three or four cups of the pie and I make the pie in the winter and it comes out as good as it does in the summer wow well I see now that you said that I think maybe I have seen it in the frozen section of 
with the grocery store. I mean, maybe, maybe if I can't find fresh, it wouldn't hurt to try frozen. Mm-hmm. But if I could have fresh rhubarb, I would do a fresh rhubarb salsa for you. Because now <laughs> you've got me d- decided that I am going to try rhubarb. And I love salsas, especially with some jalapeno and cilantro. And then I was reading about your um, roast chicken. And mm-hmm. it's hard to go wrong with a roast chicken. I'm going to try your recipe because I'm still trying to perfect my roast chicken. But this I, is a really good one. So this one came from part the Zuni Cafe in California. That's where the original recipe, which is a harder recipe to cook than mine is. And then my mother took it and she started to monkey with it. And then I took it and started to monkey with it. So we have a little thing where it's just, it's easy. All the, you have to salt the chicken 12 to 24 to eight hours ahead of time. That's the only big step that you've got to do. Other than that, you're, you're, so you're it's basically easy. doing like a brine, you're brining it. You do a dry brine on it and then you don't cover the chicken. You put the chicken on a plate in your refrigerator and you let it sort of like dry out. And if, you, but the shorter, I mean, the, as I say, uh, 24 hours is ideal. 12 hours is fine and eight hours in a pinch will work. So you can salt it the morning you're going to cook it. And then you get your cast iron pan steaming hot with oil in it. And you sear the top of it to the point where the chicken is a turning black. You know, mm-hmm. if, if it looks a little black when you turn it over, you think you burned it, but you haven't. And then okay. you sear the backside of it. And so it's facing the right way. And you take your whole pan and you put it in a 450 degree oven for about 45 minutes. And then I let the chicken rest. And then I cut it into four pieces. I cut down the center of the breast and then I cut the breast into two pieces. And then I cut the leg and I cut the leg into two pieces. So then you end up with eight pieces of chicken. And so if you're serving four people, people can have a piece of white and a piece of dark, or they can have just the dark. It just gives many more choices. And that meat stays so much juicier because it's intact in one big piece instead of being sliced and where all the juice just comes out of it so that is that, a great idea go. that's a great idea okay so i'm going to tinker with my um roast chicken before i ever really serve it to you <laughs> but i've been <laughs> i've been using a lot of zatar lately for my cookbook and i know i'm not saying that right because i was listening to a middle eastern cooking episode the other day and it's zatar but i can't say it right um but i've been doing it with zatar and then um lemon garlic shallots inside and then roasted um sweet potatoes which mm-hmm. is so good. So I thought that would be good with the fresh rhubarb salsa. Mm-hmm. And then I found a recipe a couple of weeks ago for a pear honey tart with goat cheese that is just, and pistachios, which is just Yum. fabulous. It's on my website. But, you know, with you and your bees, your honey, I thought that's going to be the perfect ending. So even if I can't have you for dinner, I'm virtually thinking about food and what I would serve if you were here. And maybe one of these days I'll see you again in person when COVID totally is a will. thing this of the past. A- they said on the Today Show two days ago that by May, we are all going to have our vaccinations or anybody who wants to have it will have it, which is not that far away. At it's all, not. So. It's not. And I did get my first one last week. So I've got to get my second one. And I'm feeling like I can start coming out of this um, bubble that I have literally been living in for a year. But I'm so excited for you. I so appreciate you being my first guest. I love the new book. And I really hope I get to see you again one of these days we definitely will it's going to happen i i I can i can sort of feel it as spring comes on things are going to get better and you know we're going we're going to get through this that sounds good thank you so much for thank you so much take care
A special thank you to Christopher for being my guest today, and thank you all for being here as well. If you'd like to learn more about his beautiful new book, A Year at Clovebrook Farm, you can visit my website, rondacarman.com. You'll also find all the recipes that I shared with Christopher today. Until next time, keep cooking. <laughs>